You know, we're ending our study in 2 Timothy today, obviously. We're at the last four verses, and almost every time we study through a book, when we get to the end, I'm convinced that I needed it more than you did. Uh, it's deeply, deeply impacting. This book has been that way for me. 2 Timothy, I've always liked this book. Uh, if I, I guess if I were being honest, if I was partial between First and 2 Timothy, I would say I like 2 Timothy better. Um, but it has been deeply, deeply impacting to me. And, um, but I, I must confess that when uh, Reed said he was going to take through verse 18 last week, and I thought, oh, so I just got a few names to mention and a, a parting word from Paul. I was a little like, oh, huh, maybe I'll back up and take a couple verses that he taught last week too. But as I looked at this, the, this passage, I was like, this is rich and powerful. Um, to say that the Apostle Paul uh, is an important historical figure, I think is a massive understatement. He might be one of the most important historical figures. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, of course, of the Jews as well, but he was called the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote half of the New Testament, um, a good portion of the book, the most important book in the world. He spread the gospel east and west throughout the Mediterranean world, and he laid the groundwork for the conquering of the Roman Empire. I don't think that's an understatement and a missions movement that would go to the ends of the earth. And we look back on these words, and these are his final words. Second Timothy is Paul's last letter, and we know that shortly after he wrote this letter, Paul was executed for his testimony of Christ. And again, these are this man's last words. In life, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need exhortation. Exhortation is good for us. It's good for us to receive strong words of exhorting to do things, to duties that we're called to. We also need warnings. We need warnings. Do you guys agree with me? We need warnings. There are warnings that we need. Be careful. There's dangers out there. And at times... We even need rebukes. We need, to be, we need a strong word of rebuke. Knock it off. We need that from God, and we need that from good friends. But I would suggest that exhortation, warning, and rebuke can't be the final words hanging as a banner over our lives. The final words of Paul to Timothy are words of grace. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words are not just soothing to the emotions, which can be short-lived. We've all been flattered by people, right? Had our emotions kind of soothed by somebody's words, and it, was, it lived very short. Truly gracious words are sweetness to the soul. Paul, in these words, this last letter of his, he's done exhorting Timothy to present duties. Right? He's done exhorting him of things that need to be done. We have two letters of exhortation from Paul to Timothy. Right? We have two letters. Paul saying, Timothy, right? way back in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, we see Paul exhorting Timothy 
to tell certain people to, ta- to stop teaching garbage, right? Right at the beginning and all throughout these letters, we see lots of exhortation. Paul's done with that. Paul is done giving Timothy warnings. Throughout First and Second Timothy, we've seen lots of warnings as well. Warnings of false teachers, warnings of the last days that are perilous. But he's done with warnings. That's not what he says to Timothy here. These are Paul's final words of his life, and they are very simply words of grace to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. Timothy was a young man that Paul loved. Ephesus was a church that Paul labored at extensively and that he loved. And he has a word of grace and blessing in his final words. Amazingly, think about this, amazingly, because this is God's word and not just a man's word or men's words, these words today of Paul, are, they are for our benefit as well. Since all scripture is breathed out by God, all scripture is for our benefit. It's for our profit. And so these final words of Paul, ultimately being the words of God, are meant to be grace and blessing and life for us. So here's what Paul does. Paul communicates three powerful things to Timothy. Okay? First, the joy of faithful friends, both old and new. Second, the blessing of Christ with us. And third, the grace of God continually with us. So first, Paul communicates to Timothy the enjoyment of faithful friends. Paul names some friends here, okay? Some odd names. We've never met some, maybe Linus isn't so odd, right? Charlie Brown, okay, we know Linus, but some odd names. But these are some friends of Paul. Very clearly, they're friends of Paul. I find it amazing, all of the names that are mentioned in the Bible. God cares about names, And of course, I I mean besides the main characters like Moses and Joseph and Paul and Jesus, of course. The names of many men and women have been recorded in the God-breathed scriptures. Scriptures, the word of God that will never pass away. Some of these individuals, their names are mentioned and they go down in the annals of history in infamy for bad. And some are named for glory. Paul had many desert him in his hour of need. Um, we, we heard last week of Demas. Demas was someone who was with Paul, ministered with Paul, but here in 2 Timothy 4, if you remember from last week, it says Demas, in love with this present world, deserted me and went to Thessalonica. How would you like your name? The final mention of your name to be that. Paul also had enemies that he named. First and second Timothy, there's several names he gives of false teachers, of those who harmed him. Last week we heard about Alexander the coppersmith. It says Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him. Wow. But Paul also had friends 
who remained faithful to the end, and he mentions some of them here. Friendship is one of the chief gifts God gives to his children in this life. If you think human friendship is insignificant, then you just, you don't know the heart of God, and I would suggest you haven't read your Bibles well. A friend with whom you have a deep bond or deep bonds centered on the most important things, more important things than a favorite team or kids' activities or a hobby that you enjoy doing together, but the most important things, right? A true friend with whom you consciously share the one spirit, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all, a friend that you share those things with consciously, that is a friend who will stick to the end. That's someone you will be friends with to the very end. A friend that shares the same gospel and the, sh- the same life purpose is stupendously wonderful. These are the kinds of friends who are born for adversity and stick closer than a brother. These are the kinds of friends that Paul mentions here. Men and women, another way we could describe it is who, men and women who were partners with Paul in the gospel. That's the language he uses in Philippians. Partners in the gospel. Partners in kingdom work. And so I would like to do, just briefly, go through some of these names and do a bit of a, just a, a short, extremely short, biographical sketch of some of these people that Paul mentions in order to spur us on to strive by God's grace to be friends like this and also to surround ourselves with friends like this. We want to be the kind of friends that if we had lived in Paul's day and we had served with Paul, maybe he would mention our name. And we certainly want to surround ourselves with the kinds of friends that Paul mentions here. So first, Paul wants Timothy to greet some of his dear friends who were in Ephesus, which is where Timothy was. First, Paul mentions a couple, a husband and wife, who labored with Paul for years. He said, greet Prisca and Aquila. Greet Prisca and Aquila, verse 19. The word greet here means to draw to oneself. It's much more than just say, hey, tell Prisca and Aquila what's up from Paul. It was more than a fist bump. It was more than a high five. It was more than a handshake. It It means to draw to oneself, to embrace, to welcome, to enfold in your arms. This is Paul saying to Timothy, Paul, go embrace this dear couple for me. Greet Prisca or Priscilla is a longer name and Aquila. So who are these two? Well, this was a powerhouse couple who labored faithfully with Paul for many years. By the time Paul is writing this, he has known this couple for about 13 years. We see their first meeting in Acts chapter 18 where they meet Paul in Corinth. Priscilla, that's how it's named in Acts, Priscilla and Aquila had been expelled along with many other Jews from Rome during uh, the emperor Claudius' reign there and they made their way to Corinth. We know from their interactions that Paul lived with them. 
He worked alongside them because they were both tent makers. This couple left with Paul, left Corinth with Paul to go to Ephesus. Having been discipled by Paul in the ways of Christ, in the truth of the scriptures, when a powerful preacher named Apollos, who was a powerful preacher in the early church, when he was preaching, Priscilla and Aquila said, you know what, he doesn't understand the truth quite right. And they pulled him aside and taught him more faithfully the truth concerning Christ. When Paul wrote Romans, Priscilla and Aquila are named there, and so we presume that they were there in Rome again. They later left Rome again because of persecution and landed in Ephesus where they had a church in their home, which is where they are in this letter. They are part of the church of Ephesus when Paul wrote this. This was the kind of couple that would go anywhere and do anything that God called them to do in faithfulness to advance the gospel and the kingdom. This was a faithful couple, a faithful man and faithful women. These were true friends of Paul. Faithful co-workers in the gospel May we both be friends like Priscilla and Aquila, like we're in, no matter what. We're we're co-workers in kingdom business and kingdom work. May we both have friends like this and be friends like this. Next, Paul mentions a household. I find that fascinating. He mentions a household, not an individual. I mean, it's, it's, it's a person's house. But he mentions the household. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Now we met Onesiphorus back in chapter 1. After Paul said everybody deserted him, there was one man and his household that didn't desert Paul. And it was this dude, Onesiphorus, and his household. They were there. They refreshed Paul. They blessed Paul. His household ministered deeply to Paul. Here's what it says in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. You are aware, verse 15, that all who, were in, who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant mercy to him on that day. Onesiphorus often refreshed Paul, and he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. He was not embarrassed to associate with Paul, though Paul was in prison. Not only that, he traveled to Rome searching for Paul and he searched for him earnestly and he found him and now he's in Ephesus or he's back in Ephesus and he is serving the church there faithfully. Now I find it fascinating, it says the household of Onesiphorus. This is everyone who is in Onesiphorus' house. The household refreshed Paul. The household was not ashamed of Paul's chains and so forth. Now the word household here means just a family unit living together. Of course, under the headship of Onesiphorus, he was the patriarch of the family, if you will. It was everyone living in his home as part of his family. This was a family that meant much to Paul. 
This household massively blessed him, so much so that Paul exclaims, again, back in chapter one, may Onesiphorus and his house be richly rewarded by the Lord on that day, which is the day of judgment. When everyone else turned away from Paul, Onesiphorus and his family didn't. Onesiphorus was the one on the scene. He traveled to Rome, but it was the entire household who was giving support, serving the church, refreshing Paul, and were not ashamed to be associated with Paul and his gospel. Now, if I may, brothers, and I mean men, okay? The men here, those who are heads of your household, and of course, single mothers who are raising your children on your own. This would be for you as well. This is an encouragement and a challenge for us. You and I are given the charge to lead our family, to lead our household, to be faithful. We are given this charge. This responsibility lands on us. We are responsible for our households. And we are called to do more than just refuse certain things from coming into our home, right? We're, we're, we're required to do more than just say certain things can't come in here, certain lines can't be crossed. We are called also to lead our households to be a source of refreshment and blessing to the saints, to the church. We are called to lead our households to serve faithfully God's people in the church. We must lead our households in being a source of refreshment to others, serving the body, being unashamed of the gospel. May it be said in heaven um, about many households here, the household of Brian and Brian and Joseph and Andy and so forth, may it be said this household was not ashamed of Christ, This household refreshed the saints. This household served faithfully to the end. The household of Onesiphorus was a faithful family in that regard. And Paul says, embrace this dear family for me. We want to be families like that, don't we? And we want to surround ourselves with people like this. Next, Paul mentions a man named Erastus. Verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth. Erastus was one of, it says in Acts chapter 19, he was one of Paul's helpers. He was a helper along with Timothy that that Paul sent into Macedonia. For some reason when I read that, I was like, we oftentimes think to be called a helper is a insignificant, weak, menial thing. Right, to be a helper on a job site, do we think, well, that's kind of the gopher. He, does, he doesn't know what he's doing, so he just helps out. To be a helper in kingdom work, for Paul to call him and Timothy as helpers is a glorious thing. If you are a helper, don't begrudge that. To be a helper is a marvelous and wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is called the, right, The helper. If you are a helper for Christ's sake, rejoice. 
Erastus was, and now 10 years later, Erastus is still serving, now in Corinth, and Paul wants Timothy to know about it. Erastus, he has not deserted me, he's in Corinth. Next, Paul mentions a man named Trophimus. He says, I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus, verse 20. Trophimus was an Ephesian, so of course he was from Ephesus. He served Paul, probably part of the group who carried the offering from the Gentiles to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He was a faithful brother, but he fell sick. And he must have been pretty sick because Miletus wasn't too far from Ephesus. But no doubt, Paul wanted Timothy to know why he wasn't back in Ephesus. He's sick, he's in Miletus. And also, he wanted Timothy and the brothers in Ephesus to be praying for Trophimus, I have no doubt. Then what Paul does is he, after, after saying greet these brothers and mentioning a couple of other brothers, he, said, he gives the greetings, he gives certain greetings from new friends in Rome to Timothy. Now these are people we have no other information about in the Bible. Um, but they were Christians in Rome and they were important to Paul and they must have been encouraging to Paul as he was awaiting his death. Paul says this, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. Now again, we know almost nothing about these individuals. There are three men, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and one woman, Claudia. We don't know much, but Paul mentions them, so they must have been significant in encouraging Paul in some way, in their loyalty to Christ, in, in the church at Rome, and the kingdom. Um, Interestingly, we do know, outside of the Bible, we know a little bit about one of these people, Linus. Of course, it's Linus, because we love Linus, right? Um, But Linus happened to be, he he was a leader in the church at Rome, and he was Peter's successor. Peter was the leader in the church at Rome. He was Peter's successor when Peter died. Roman Catholics would say he was He's, called, he's Pope Linus, but we just would say he was elder or pastor or leader in the church at Rome. Now, we don't know why these friends didn't stand up for Paul at his first trial, right? Because remember last week, Paul says, in my first trial, no one was there with me, including, apparently, these individuals. We don't know why they weren't there, but we do know that Paul forgave them Perhaps they repented, confessed, and they were back in fellowship with Paul. Um, Paul. They certainly were important enough to Paul at this time to mention their names. So, it is a good gift to have good and true friends, isn't it? King David wrote in Psalm 16, I wrote, uh, read this about a month ago, and it just uh, was, was a verse I'd read many times, but it landed on me in a powerful way. Paul, or, excuse me, David said, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It is a gift to go through this life and end this life with real, true friends. But what Paul does next, after mentioning some friends, is he speaks a word of blessing. After Paul mentions some true friends, he blesses Timothy and This is a glorious benediction. It is a glorious blessing. Here's what he said. The Lord be with your spirit. The Lord be with your spirit. How many times have you read over something like that in the Bible and not 
thought a bit about it. Come on, be honest. We've all done it, okay? The Lord be with your spirit. There is no greater benediction or blessing one could ever receive in all the Bible than the Lord be with your spirit. And since this is recorded for us in sacred scripture, we may receive this blessing as well. And we may speak it over one another. What else do we need to be happy and blessed forever than for the Lord Jesus Christ to be with our spirits? Of course, for those who belong to Jesus, who through faith belong to him and are his, this is true. But what a reminder and what a blessing to have our spirits enlivened to this great reality. The Lord of the universe be with your spirit. The word Lord here is the Greek word kudios. It's, it's the counterpart to the Old Testament uh, uh, covenant name of God, Yahweh. Saying Yahweh, the God of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, the sovereign, may he be with your spirit. The word spirit here I think just means inner person. May he be with you deep within. Not a passing thought, not trying to remember, is he with me? Oh yeah, he's with me, remember that? But may he be with you deep in your inner person. And Paul prays this. In Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that according to the riches of the Father's glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, listen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When the Lord is with your Spirit, Christ is dwelling in you by faith, and when that's true, you are blessed. Richly, richly blessed. You are living and experiencing the great blessing of God deep within. And of course, how could it be otherwise? It is through Christ that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places comes to us. It is Christ in you that is what? The hope of glory. The Lord be with you your spirits. When Christ is with our spirits, not only are we blessed, but we also have strong support in times of trouble. Alyssa mentioned this passage earlier, but Jesus said, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Lord This Lord be with your spirit. This is a word of strong support. And quite frankly, though, to be honest, we often don't feel that support. We often don't live in the light of that strong support. We often are shaken by rumors and controversy. We often are bowed down and under the weight of pressures in this life. We often are blown around by the winds of affliction. We saw last week the sweet consolation Paul experienced at his first trial. Everyone else deserted him. Everybody else. That's the language he used. Everyone deserted me. But not everyone. 
What did Paul say? But the Lord stood by me, and the Lord strengthened me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me into his eternal kingdom. Now, I find it glorious and yet bizarre at the same time that Paul said this, though he would very soon have his head chopped off. Rescued from the lion's mouth. Delivered from every evil deed, including through being beheaded. The Lord be with your spirit. There may be times in the path of obedience to Christ when you feel alone. Has that ever happened before? In the path of obedience to Christ, I don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean we feel alone because we've isolated ourselves. I don't mean we feel alone because we have burned a lot of bridges. I mean in the path of obedience to Christ, we want to be faithful, follow Jesus, and sometimes we feel alone. You are not alone. Emphatically, you are not alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is the friend of friends. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if you have Christ as your friend, though you have no other friends, I hope you do, but if you have Jesus as a friend and have no other friends, listen, you have all. You have everything you need. Um, we don't know a lot about St. Patrick uh, of Ireland. There's a lot we don't know. He's, he lived a long time ago. There's not a lot written about him. There's some. Um, but one quote that is attributed to him goes like this. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise. To be so saturated with the, the reality of the present, risen Christ with us is our great privilege as his people. And I think that's what Paul, I think that's this benediction, the Lord be with your spirit. Paul blesses or praises for Timothy and we may for ourselves as well. If we were so aware of the Lord with our spirits, we would boldly say with the author of Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We would be strong and ready for every duty that Christ calls us to. We would be patient through every trial that he calls us to endure. Timothy would certainly need this in the days ahead. No doubt he treasured this benediction for the rest of his life, and we may too, because we need this for the days ahead for us. And I don't mean that because I have some insight into what is ahead specifically. We just need it. 
We live in dark days. Through many tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so the grace, or excuse me, so the Lord be with your spirit. Finally, let's look at the very last words we have recorded by Paul. And this is a word of grace. Again, it's all been a word of grace. The grace, excuse me, grace be with you. Paul signs off with these words. Grace be with you. And it makes total sense. The chief of sinners, Christ, or Paul, excuse me, not Christ, no, no. Um, the chief of sinners, Paul, loved to talk about grace. And so he says, grace be with you. John Stott wrote in his uh, commentary on First and Second Timothy, grace is the word in which all of Paul's theology is dis- distilled. And it is only reasonable that if the Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirits, then, that, then his grace is with us as well. It is grace that brings us into the full, immeasurable riches of Christ. It's not anything that we do to earn it or to gain that. It's not, certainly not what we deserve. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you have not received as a gift? And in other words, every good thing that we receive from God is given as a gift. It's not because we deserve it or we're owed anything from God. It's been said that grace is God's unmerited favor. Ever heard of that before? Grace is God's unmerited favor. And I think that's, that's true as far as it goes, but I, I, I don't think that goes far enough. I would say we need to say more than that. Grace is not only God's unmerited favor, but it's God's favor contrary to what we merit. It's God's favor contrary to what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We get grace. All of that is true, and may God's grace be with you in that sense. But I think when Paul says grace be with you, I think he's speaking not just of God's saving grace, but also of God's grace as divine strength. Grace is not just pardon from sin, but it's also power for living. It's not just something to be received one time, but it's something to be received continually. And I think that's what Paul says here. In the original language, in the Greek, Paul is literally saying, grace be with and keep being with you. Continual grace. Augustus Top Lady, who wrote uh, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, he wrote this. He said, the acts of breathing which I performed yesterday will not keep me alive today. I must continue to breathe afresh every moment or my life will cease. In like manner, yesterday's grace and spiritual strength must be renewed and the Holy Spirit must continue to breathe on my soul from moment to moment. And I think that's what Paul's saying. Grace be with you. Grace be with you and keep being with you. Now I want to make a connection here, okay? As we wrap up. Paul often begins his letters 
Actually, I shouldn't say often. Every time. All of his letters. In the greeting, it begins with grace to you or grace and peace to you. Sometimes he ends his letters, like he does 2 Timothy, by saying something similar. Grace to you, grace be with you, and so forth. I think there's a reason for that. Those are not throwaway words, okay? The word of God, and here, here's why, okay? Here's why these are not throwaway words. This is, we're meant to make a connection here, I think. The word of God is grace to us. When Paul begins his letters, grace to you, he expects them, read the rest of this letter, and when you read this letter, what's coming to you? Grace is coming to you. The word of God is grace coming to us, both reminding us of pardon in Christ from our sins and also granting us power for life and godliness. When you read through the Old Testament and when you get to that intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, one of the evidences of God's displeasure of, the, Jew, of the, the nation of Israel is there was no word from God. There was no prophet speaking. There was no word from the Lord. It was a sign of God's judgment. Brothers and sisters, we have the book. We have the word of God. This is grace to us. This is glorious grace to us. If we are a people of the book, we are a people living under the gracious blessing of God and we are people being equipped by the book for every good work. But let me clarify something. Just possessing a Bible is not what I'm talking about. Just possessing a Bible does not impart this grace to you. Okay? Especially, well, especially if it's sitting on the shelf gathering dust, right? Just possessing a Bible. I remember when I was a little kid. I wonder if anyone else ever thought this. And I thought, I wonder if God could do like this magical miracle. And I put this book underneath my pillow at night and he just like, it just all is, you know, goes into my brain or something. Of course, God could do that, but I don't expect him to. This is grace to us, not because we possess the book, but because our noses are in it and our minds are being transformed by it, and our hearts are being shaped by it. Just possessing a Bible does, does not impart this grace. Just hearing a good, sound, biblical sermon once a week, or, and I hope you do here, I trust you do, or, or more often, will not do. You must take it up and read it. You must take it up and ask the Holy Spirit, be my teacher as I devour this book and get it into me and I'm trusting grace is coming, with, coming to me and grace is going to be with me. Now, one more thing I want you to see. The word you, when, when Paul says grace be with you, the word you is plural, okay? When Paul says uh, the, the Lord be with your spirit, he's speaking that to Timothy. When he says grace be with you, he's speaking that to the whole church. He's saying grace be with you, the church at Ephesus. This was a word for the entire church. It was expected that this letter from Paul would be read by the entire church at Ephesus and that the entire church would receive an impartation of grace through the word. So, you must take up this book and read it. 
We must as well. Okay, you must individually, and we must as well. Okay, we must read it together, study it together, with the Holy Spirit as our teacher together, and we will receive a wonderful impartation of grace more and more together. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these final words of Paul that are anything but words to be breezed over. We thank you that all scripture is breathed out by God. All of it's profitable for us. All of it helps to shape and form us so that we're equipped for every good work. And I pray, Father, that these words would um, go deep into our souls. I pray that the Lord Jesus would be with our spirit.